0: I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, The Trail and Trials. Another day in court for Republican frontrunner and former President Donald Trump. We have the latest from celebration to sadness. New developments in the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade that turned deadly. Christians in Gaza. Our report examines daily life for the faithful amid the war between Israel and Hamas. And an inspiring sight. Further signs of hope at Notre Dame Cathedral. These stories and more tonight.
1: From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly.
0: Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Claude Colombert. Our top story tonight, former President Donald Trump is headed to trial. A New York judge ruled today that Trump's hush money case will start March 25th. That is just weeks after the Super Tuesday primaries, a key date in the race for the White House. The former president told reporters they want to rush it because they want to get it done before the presidential election. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen.
2: Tracy, the former president's lawyers were demanding a delay, but tonight, no dice. The upcoming trial expected to last about six weeks. The Republican frontrunner in the race for the White House also said they would not have brought this except for the fact that I'm running for president and doing well. And he had plenty more to say outside court.
3: There's never been anything like this in the history of our country.
2: Former President Donald Trump says he did
3: not do anything wrong. But it's not a crime. We're here for something that is not a crime. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. What it is, is election interference. It's being run by Joe Biden's White House. His top person was placed here in order to make sure everything goes right.
2: The case centering on years-old accusations that Trump sought to bury stories about extramarital affairs that arose during his 2016 presidential campaign.
3: This is just a way of hurting me in the election because I'm leading by a lot, we're leading by numbers that nobody's ever seen before, and they figured this is their way of cheating this time. Last time they had a different way. This time they have something that's really down and dirty that no, frankly, no country does other than a third world country, a banana republic.
2: That's not the only courtroom Trump is battling it out. There's also the Georgia election interference case against him. Today, a hearing to determine whether the Fulton County District Attorney should be removed from the case because of a personal relationship with a special prosecutor.
0: When did your romantic relationship with Ms. Willis begin?
2: 2022.
0: When? When? 2022
4: early 2022
2: Now back to New York City. President Trump also said he's supposed to be in South Carolina right now stating, "How can you run for election sitting in a courthouse in Manhattan all day the South Carolina GOP primary, by the way, is coming up in just nine days. His hush money case will be the first of his criminal trials at the White House Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly.
0: And now on to updates on the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. One person died and around two dozen were injured. Reports say the woman who was killed was a Catholic mother of two. Meantime, eyewitnesses describe the scene as chaos. Jumping the um, rails and pushing everybody over. We got inside and we thought that, OK, it's calm now. And about that time, people started running again. Uh, Police say half of the shooting victims were children and some are in critical condition right now. Three people have been detained as part of the investigation. According to the Kansas City police chief, the cause of the attack was a dispute that ended in gunfire. The White House says that it is following the tragic events. We pray for the families who lost loved ones and we wish a speedy recovery to those who suffered injuries. Since this horrific shooting yesterday, the president has received regular updates from his team and senior White House staff have been in touch with state and local leaders. Well, in Washington, the head of the House Intelligence Committee sent out a text message warning lawmakers of a serious national security threat involving Russia. It sets off alarm bells not just on Capitol Hill, but throughout the nation. But was it warranted? Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with more. Eric?
4: Good evening, Tracy. Well, that question, the answer to that question, it depends on who you ask. It's now been confirmed that the threat cited by House Intel Chairman Congressman Mike Turner dealt with Russia's space capabilities. Specifically, the country is working on a nuclear anti-satellite system that could literally wipe out the U.S. communication system and cripple the country. But the White House says that it poses no threat to the safety of Americans.
5: This is not an active capability that's been deployed. And though Russia's pursuit of this particular capability is troubling, there is no immediate threat to anyone's safety. We are not talking about a weapon that can be used to attack human beings or cause physical destruction here on Earth. Former
4: CIA Director and Defense Secretary Leon Panetta says the threat is serious. If Russia could blind our ability to be able to gather that kind of information, Make no mistake about it, that would be an act of war because it would threaten our national security. Congressman Ralph Norman says the world is on fire and puts the blame on President Biden's lack of leadership. Our country is under attack. We've got an administration that's asleep at the switch. I mean, it's not just Russia, it's China, Iran. We need to know it and and really put the funds to have the top-line defense. To not be able to respond, as has been reported, to what Russia's doing is unacceptable. Armed Services Committee member Democrat John Garamendi says Congressman Mike Turner's tweet wanting President Biden to declassify all information about the national security threat wasn't necessary.
0: There is a need for secrecy, finding the right balance for that. There's nothing new about space weapons. There's nothing new about
4: that. Even some Republicans are calling out the intel chairman's motives, saying the White House's national security advisor already had a meeting set up with Congressman Turner. Do you think that it was wrong to put it out in a tweet? I uh, I worry about rattling the country on these matters in the absence of uh, some context. We put out you know, our concern with Chairman Turner gaslighting the country on these things, and I worry that the motivation to... Uh, draw so much attention to this is less about intelligence and national security and more about a politician who wants to send $60 billion to Ukraine. Congressman Mike Turner did put out a statement today defending his actions, saying that the committee worked directly in, consul- in consultant, uh, consulting with the Biden administration to notify Congress of the security threat. Now, getting back to that nuclear space weapon from Russia, sources tell me that it's yet functionable, but Putin is currently working on it. It's important to note that the intelligence community has known for years that China is working on its own GPS satellite system, one that could knock out the U.S.'s satellite system. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan did meet with the top leaders in both the House and the Senate this afternoon. No one commented after that meeting. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN news nightly.
0: Well, in a surprise trip to Israel today, CIA Director Bill Burns met with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to discuss ongoing hostage negotiations. It comes two days after Burns was in Cairo speaking with Qatari and Egyptian negotiators. Talks broke down between Israeli and Hamas officials after they failed to reach a deal on releasing the hostages. Netanyahu says Hamas has to change its demands. Meanwhile, civilians are fleeing from the Nasser medical complex in Gaza. The Israeli military has an ongoing military Military operation in the area. There are hundreds of patients, medical workers, and displaced Palestinians in the hospital. Our recent comments by the Vatican Secretary of State regarding Israel's war with Hamas have led to a formal complaint from the Israelis earlier this week. Cardinal Pietro Perlin denounced all forms of anti-Semitism, but he also said that Israel's response to the October 7th terror attack has not been proportionate.
3: I believe we are all outraged by what is happening, by this carnage. But we must have the courage to move forward and not lose
0: hope. The Cardinal also said that Israel has every right to defend itself, but lamented the large number of civilian casualties. The Israeli ambassador to the Holy See responded.
3: Each and every civilian casualty uh, is to be lamented. But uh, taking a number and basing a declaration upon the number without considering the circumstances and the background and the reality, the overall reality, I believe that uh, it's not the right way to form
0: an opinion. In its complaint, the Israeli embassy says Hamas turned the Gaza Strip into the biggest terrorist base ever seen. Israel also claims that its forces are acting according to international law. A new report says since the war began between Israel and Hamas last October, more than two dozen Christians have died in Gaza. That is according to the Aid to the Church in Need. The group also says the situation in Gaza is becoming increasingly desperate. Finding food and fuel is very difficult and the supplies that are available are extremely expensive. For an example, five gallons of diesel gas now cost more than $200. And joining us now to talk about this and more is Ed Clancy, Director of Outreach to Aid to the Church in Need. Ed, always so good to be with you. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. You know, you and I have talked about the situation for Christians in Gaza and those at the Catholic parish, the Holy Family in particular, before. But, Ed, what has changed since then? Can you give us any updates?
1: Well, it, it, it gets worse every day. Unfortunately, uh, as time goes on, there are more people dying. Uh, there are more people on the verge of death. Uh, we have at least 60 children, handicapped children, who are stuck there. Uh, there's an, anywhere from five to 600 people uh, residing there in, under the grimmest conditions, and yet uh, the, the parish is somehow able to maintain them and, and give them at least a little bit
6: of hope.
0: Yeah, and one thing we mentioned, Ed, was that food and fuel, they're in short supply. And I also understand uh, so is running water. Talk to us about how that's impacting people and the serious issues that that's leading to.
1: Well, there's 80 to 100 children, and many of them need, you know, powdered milk in order to, you know, continue growing as a healthy child. And so one of the most important ingredients in in putting powder and milk together is, I mean, water and milk, uh, powdered milk together is the, the water. And the, the, the short supply means that these children are facing dehydration. And then, of course, you have the elderly uh, who might be compromised. In our story, we talked a little bit about a man who died because he was not able to get um, you know, proper treatment, and he, was, he ended up dying alone and not being able to see his family in his last days, and now has been buried far away from where his family can even visit him. So it's, it's a very difficult situation for the community, And it's something that's getting worse in all of these situations you have when Christians are pushed like this, that there's a real chance of, you know, the the disappearance of Christianity in that whole region.
0: Yeah, and another place really where Christians are facing many, many challenges in Nigeria. I want to talk about that, the situation there for Christians. Uh, Recently, the European Parliament strongly condemned, uh, in particular, the Christmas Eve attack in Nigeria that killed at least, uh, I believe, 195 Christians. But the statement, Ed, blamed violence on climate change and environmental degradation. I know you know very well what's happening in Nigeria. Would you say that climate change is to blame?
1: I, I'm sorry to say it's nonsense. Uh, we were traveling with Bishop Wilfred Anagbe over these last couple of weeks here in the, in the United States and Washington, D.C., and he said, uh, and essentially to paraphrase him, it's as if the pagan ritual of sacrificing Christian life is going to solve climate change. Where and when has the killing of people solved an issue that could be resolved if it, is, if it really is an issue by the government with programs to allow for both farmers and also for the herders to exist?
0: Ed, and, and this is probably a hard question to even answer, I mean, why do you think they're blaming this on climate change?
1: To avoid the facts. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, when uh, Arch- when the bishop was in Washington, D.C., he was sitting there all alone at a markup for uh, House Resolution 82, and it was it was in stark contrast to what the, uh, the opponents of the, the resolution were saying. It, it, it's not about Christians. It's not about uh, what's going on with these communities. And yet in Benway, there are 2.2 million people displaced and 500 people have died since um, November of last year in this in this one area of Nigeria. And just to give you context, more people have died in Nigeria, more Christians have died in Nigeria than all over the world combined. In fact, 90 percent of all Christians died in 2022 were in Nigeria.
0: Mm, it's so tragic. Ed, thank you for coming on and for all your insights and what you do. We appreciate it. God bless. You're welcome. Thank you. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including high-stakes protests, a closer look at the farmers' protests raging across Europe and what it could mean for the global food supply. And the restoration of one of the most famous cathedrals in the world takes a big step forward. Back, lawmakers in Greece are set to vote on whether to legalize same-sex marriage. Orthodox leaders are opposed to the measure, saying that it poses a threat to traditional family values. If passed, Greece will become the first majority Orthodox country to legalize same-sex marriage. Also in Greece, farmers who are angry at high production costs say they will increase their roadblock campaign. In recent months, similar protests have swept through Europe, this as farmers are fed up with inflation and higher costs associated with growing crops. The protests have been heaviest in places like France and in Germany. And here with the latest on this is A.C. Vimmer of CNA Deutsch. A.C., always good to be with you. So fill us in a little bit more about what is behind these protests protests and why it matters.
5: Thanks, Tracy. It's great to be here. Look, really, there's a whole disconnect from policy and farmers' reality that's going on. There's a whole toxic cocktail of, of issues at play. There's a backlash against the cuts in agricultural subsidies. There's heaps of red tra- red tape and it's getting more and more. There's a whole labyrinth of requirements for farmers. But overall, there's also the deal that the European Union is putting in place with Mercosur, that Latin American trading bloc, and the opening of crops coming in from the Ukraine, that's in particular tough for the Polish farmers. And then you've got the European Green Deal, which is setting all sorts of requirements, in particular setting aside land, a certain percentage of your own land as a farmer. So that's toxic for a lot of farmers, and that's why they're out in in the streets of Europe.
0: Yeah, and I'm curious, have these protests so far, had they had you know any impact on policy or led to any changes? Do you know?
5: Yes, they have. There's been some, they're walking back some of the policies careful on the European Union's front. Certain issues around the Green Deal, especially the land set aside percentages. In Germany, for instance, they're also looking at not cutting agricultural subsidies, such as for diesel, which is really important, obviously, for tractors, for machinery. But it's hard to say what the real full spectrum of the effects will be.
0: Yeah. I also know uh, farmers in Italy are also taking part in this. And over the past weekend, a small group of farmers, bringing with them a cow, went to St. Peter's Square on Sunday for the noontime Angelus. What more can you tell us about this, AC?
5: So this is a very famous cow and the daughter of a famous cow. Her name is Ercolina Tudou, and the protesting farmers wanted to bring her to, like her mother once was in the late 90s, for an EU milk protest, St. Peter's Square. Unlike her mother, she wasn't let on to St. Peter's Square, and so they milked her just outside, created just as much of a kerfuffle as you can imagine. And we'll yet to see, though, if Pope Francis will also react and comment on the situation. Catholic bishops across Europe have commented, and the commission of the bishops' conferences in particular have expressed their support for the protests.
0: What about the public? Um, what kind of support, are are they giving support to these farmers?
5: There is a lot of, a massive amount of support. You're even seeing people joining the protesters saying, listen, no farms, no food. We want local produce. We want good bourgeois wine, for instance. We want all those things. So there's a a fair amount of support. And there are, of course, also some critics.
0: And you you know, what's the long-term prospects uh, for farming on the continent? And what will happen? And what have you seen happen so far with the food chain because of these protests?
5: Look, I think that's really the crucial question. If these farmers reach a point where continuing their operations really is untenable as it is for a growing number of them, the implications are not just for Europe, as massive as that is. Therefore, the global food chain that will affect people around the world. Europe's a huge player in the world's agricultural market, not just in terms of the exports, but also setting standards for sustainable farming practices. So a reduction in Europe would also lead to higher food prices globally could trigger a domino effect when it comes to these sustainability goals in terms of climate change policy and things like that. And they could pressure regions to fill the gap, which would be at a huge cost for everyone.
0: Where do you see these protests going?
5: We've seen a lot of the protests sort of, you know, going nowhere for a while. But given the vehemence of some of what we've seen, they'd be very quick to get those tractors out again if they feel they need to. How the European Union Commission will be acting how they will be walking back some of these policies or changing them really is how that will play out.
0: Oh, E.C., we're going to leave right there. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your insights on this important story. God bless.
5: Finally, God bless.
0: Up next on EWTN News Nightly, somber anniversary. A Catholic community looks back on a difficult time in history. Plus, one of the most famous cathedrals in the world is closer to reopening its doors. Today marks the 80th anniversary of one of the most controversial moments of the Second World War. On February 15, 1944, Allied forces bombed a Catholic monastery in Italy. Now the Benedictine community at Monte Cassino is commemorating the day and shedding light on what happened. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser has more.
6: Certainly there were no Germans here so there was no German army presence to justify the bombing. It was a strategic mistake because the Germans arrived afterwards and used the ruins to barricade themselves here. Beyond the historical aspect of the destruction, there were no victims among the monks. However, there were victims among the civilians because, believing that the abbey was a safe place to hide, the abbot at that time, Abbot Gregorio di Amare, had opened the doors of the monastery to provide refuge to the civilians. Eighty years after its destruction in the Second World War, the reconstructed Benedictine
3: Abbey of Monte Cassino in central Italy stands as a timeless testament to the enduring legacy of its founder, Saint Benedict, the father of Western monasticism. Throughout the centuries, the Abbey suffered several destructions, the most notable of which occurred during Second World War. On the morning of February 15, 1944, the U.S. Allied forces bombed the Abbey an historic event that is being commemorated today by the Abbey's Benedictine community. Founded in 529 by St. Benedict, the Abbey is the oldest monastery in Italy, and its destruction became one of the most controversial events of the war.
6: Obviously, this attack also entailed the destruction of a significant cultural heritage, although much of it, at least, what regards the material kept in the archives was saved thanks to the work of German priests. It was all taken to Rome and in this way saved. Other things however were inevitably lost, such as the frescoes in the church. But somewhat miraculously, the burial place of St. Benedict and St. Scholastica was also saved because of a grenade that fell there did not explode. After the war, the
3: Abbey of Monte Cassino was rebuilt as close to the original as possible. In October 1964, Pope St. Paul VI personally consecrated again the reconstructed Cathedral Basilica and proclaimed St. Benedict, promoter of unity and messenger of peace, the main patron saint of Europe. This year the Abbey will celebrate the 60th anniversary of his proclamation.
6: Saint Benedict is known for the famous motto, Ora et Labora, and I think that Saint Benedict testifies to the importance of a unified and harmonious life. It isn't for no reason, then, that the Benedictine motto is Pax, peace, and that Benedict was proclaimed precisely the patron saint of Europe with a bull describing him as a messenger of peace. After all, Saint Benedict shows us that we can be signs and instruments of peace in history and in relation to others, provided that we are first able to find a peace and inner harmony within ourselves.
3: In Rome, Andres and Matteo Cioffi, EWTN, News Nightly.
0: Finally tonight, exciting developments at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris as the newly rebuilt spire is now visible. The unveiling process has begun with the expectation that it will be completed in time for the Olympics in July. The spire features a new cross and a golden rooster, which is a symbol of France. The cathedral itself is on schedule to reopen this coming December. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.